the upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. Let's get it going right here and right now. This is the New Generation Declassified, and you're listening to a brand new New Generation Declassified exclusively here on the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling Podcasting Empire. If you didn't know by now, my name, or I reach for something, is Chad, and every single week I'm joined here by my crack broadcast team as we take a walk back down memory lane back into the New Generation era of the World Wrestling Federation and dig on, dig into some kind of topic. What are we going to talk about today? I'll mention in just a minute. But uh, here we are in live and in living color. Another episode, another round of New Generation Chatter. This week specifically focusing on the maybe uh, uh, foundation staple uh, faction of the New Generation. That is the Million Dollar Corporation Coming to you today on New Generation Declassified. Let me introduce the team before we get rolling. First, from the Garden State, the man who made uh, the Million Dollar Corporation uh, thrive during that era. He was a big fan, Mr. CP. How are you tonight, CP? How is everything down there on the Jersey Shore? Oh, it's doing okay. Everything's going well on the Jersey Shore. Glad to be here tonight. I'm glad to be recording the podcast. It's a break from the day, you know. I'm in the process of uh, trying to buy this house, and it's just a huge pain. I'm trying to get these contractors to do work there and give me quotes on stuff, and they just don't seem to get it. You know, they don't think it's necessary to wear shirts that say "Property of CP." So, <laughs> well, I've come to know about New Jersey being a very corrupt place to uh, to to live. That everybody has a price in the state of New Jersey. So all you got to do is toss around a couple of hundies and a, uh, a few of those Benjamins, and you'll uh, you'll be doing just fine. You'll get any permit you need, any kind of illegal uh, duty that you need done. I'm sure you'll find somebody to do it there in New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, a couple blank envelopes and you're good. That's exactly right. And down in the Sunshine State, his hum has returned somewhat, which is all right. We'll deal with it as we move along. He, uh, he took a week off last week, and his spot was uh, filled in by uh, Miss Jennifer Smith. Uh, as we welcome back uh, Timmy W. to the airwaves. How are you tonight there in uh, the great state of Florida, Timmy? Doing great. Dealing with, I feel like I'm in Seattle this week with rain 24-7, which is not Florida. But uh, here, Jenny filled in great. Um, she was worthy of uh, joining the corporation. So right here. If she had video work in her background i don't know it would have been a tough tough return for you to uh meet this week but she uh yeah she filled in great it was a lot of fun talking about um last week's episode with uh with jenny she uh really she definitely turned heads and people i was talking to she definitely impressed and uh definitely love to have her back on the show at some point to uh talk about another topic uh now that i uh understand her lack of uh love there for the old franchise uh, that's, uh, that's something I wasn't really sitting pretty with me. I'll tell you that much, but, uh, I digress this week's topic, the million dollar corporation. So what are we going to do? 
are we going to sit here and and just say, uh, oh, the million dollar corporation uh, beat this guy on this night? Uh, they did this on SummerSlam. No, we're going to go through each member and we're going to talk about uh, some of their more uh, finer points, maybe some of their lower points and whether or not maybe they should have even been in the stable. And how about we'll even fantasy book a couple guys that could have been in the million dollar corporation uh, during the uh, run that they had between 1994 and about midway through 96. So who, who's ready for a little uh, little million dollar goodness? Headed your way. Money, 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 money. <laughs> Let's do it, Chadster. All right. So, the million dollar man, he leaves after SummerSlam 93. Okay. He goes to Japan for a very short amount of time, and it's where his career would end, unfortunately. Uh, he would head back to the World Wrestling Federation in January 94 at the Royal Rumble as part of the commentary team where he would stay for basically the better part of about a year and a half um, on and off. He'd be on some Coliseum videos. He would be uh, a couple, you know, randomized pay-per-views. He'd be maybe on a Monday Night Raw here or there. But the Million Dollar Man uh, kind of, uh, you know, settling into a, a very well-needed uh, additional heel voice to go along with Jerry Lawler in the broadcast booth but uh, definitely, definitely uh, cool to see him back in the uh, new generation era, but not as a wrestler, this time as a manager. Do you remember his first appearance back at the 1994 Royal Rumble and Vince McMahon's amazing reaction to uh, his music uh, playing throughout the arena? <laughs> Vince was definitely quite Vince style stunts at uh that <laughs> do you remember it Am I, do you remember exactly what happened <laughs> uh just peak my memory i will tell you exactly what happened there way to uh way to be uh, way to be ready for that so <laughs> he's solo in the broadcast booth vince mcmahon to start the show off and he's awaiting his co-host to join him and the classic million dollar man music hits and he goes mike color commentator for this evening is this guy it's oh, him God. and he comes out and that's the return of the million dollar man you know really what six months after he had left yeah in uh in august of 93 but you know this time he's got the uh, the dapper uh million dollar like leisure suit attire he's not in the full-blown snap pants and million dollar man ring jacket he's in more of a casual jacket and like casual million dollar man uh million dollar retirement suit yeah, exactly. But he looks, you know, he looks great. And really, to me, I would love to have seen him as more of a permanent fixture uh, at the commentary booth because he was, you know, fresh right off the roster and, uh, you know, still had a lot to give. And uh, I thought these two did really well together, especially on this uh, 94 Rumble. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I, I definitely remember him on the Rumble and I was impressed with him. I just... Yeah, I don't remember the very beginning. I do fancy that as my favorite Royal Rumble too. I've, I just oh, yes. don't recall the what, beginning. What a what a fraud! You fancy it as your favorite Royal Rumble? <laughs> Good lord, that is uh, that is that's terrible. But yeah, this is a great return here for uh, the Million Dollar Man to come out in the way that he did. Uh, but little did we know that the Million Dollar Corporation would be kind of on its way over the next few months and, and take shape the way it did. So as the Million Dollar Man started to kind of align with certain guys, um, you know, one of them being his former tag team partner, IRS, um, there were other guys that were added into the fray. Now, I'm not going to chronologically go through it. We're going to kind of test each other's memory. We'll go back and forth 
on who do we remember um, from the uh, the corporation and their uh, their early days uh, through their later days? Uh, let's name a couple people back and forth. So we've got the million dollar man. Okay, we've got his former tag team partner IRS. When I say CP million dollar corporation, who is the first person that comes to your brain? First person that comes to my brain. Um, my brain's overloaded a little. I don't know that I have a clear first person. Um, we talked on another episode about Nikolai Volkov. He's kind of the first person just because he's the first person to me. And I clearly, you know, I have thorough memories of that. The What we're seeing on our video screen right now on the King's Court. Um, him being belittled, giving the property of Million Dollar Man trunks and the scent shirt that he would have for the next year or two. Uh, so that's kind of the first person that pops in my mind, not necessarily, you know, the prime member of the corporation, but I, that's just, you know, that's how it all, this all began. I remember this very, very, very clearly because I remember being very uncomfortable having to watch Nikolai <laughs> Volkov put on the actual tights uh, because, you know, you could refer to them as tights or, or very underwear-like uh, mm-hmm. attire. But it was very weird to see Nikolai Volkov, again, another guy back in the fold, uh, a great veteran to have on the uh, the roster. Uh, but what they did was they had him positioned at ringside, and he they would just go out of their way to say he was down on his luck. They would go out of their way to say he was in bad like financial terms. They go out of their way to say he's got nothing going on right now. So uh, they eventually bring him back to the ring, but the million-dollar man – wants to make him his servant. And since Nikolai is so down on his luck, we have to feel bad for this big, you know, bear of a, uh, of a man and watch him be torn to shreds by the million dollar man and forced to wear property of the million dollar man, very large uh, scents and uh, black tights and um, trade in his uh, signature uh, Russia USA jacket for a um, million dollar man, you know, novelty uh tuxedo shirt <laughs> and he, it, the fact that he's it so helps that it's on the king's court too because it's, it's ted dibiase and jerry lawler belittling him like jerry lawler loves just jumping in the game with his little lines and it, and it but it is so it is so hilarious at one point dibiase just asks him if he hates him and he's just like yes i hate you <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> it is fantastic but yes very uncomfortable in certain ways believe this is the Westchester County Center looking at the venue, uh, which is a great um, it's a great venue to go to a WWE show because of how close all the seats are. But the fact that they taped a lot of TV there was also kind of remarkable because it doesn't feel like it's that kind of venue. I could be wrong, but I believe that's it looking at it. Um, but here's where we would see Nikolai uh, for the better part of about you know almost a year in this role as not even like you can't even say, oh, Nikolai was the enforcer. Or you can't even say, oh, Nikolai was the, uh, you know, the the guy who you couldn't, you had to get through Nikolai to get to, you know, uh, somebody else. Nikolai was just literally, he was just a guy in this corporation. <laughs> it wasn't really any, like, role he had. No, yeah, there was no no clear role. He was just the, he was the one that was abused, basically. Nobody else was really taken into the corporation under these circumstances. Yeah, it would have else- been like he was the new Virgil, but it didn't really, like, play out that way. Yeah, You know, like it was it was like implied that that was it, but it didn't really last that long that he was like in that Virgil role. Yeah, he continued to wear like the garb of the scent, but he was pretty much just a dude in the corporation. 
so this this match here that uh, Timmy threw on was in would this say Youngstown, Ohio, the Strutters Center? Interesting. I don't know who th- what that was, but I believe uh, that could have been Jeff Hardy that he was with in the ring. If I uh, if I oh. if I believe correctly, I believe it was you're my correct. or is it Matt There's- Hardy? It's a Hardy. <laughs> That does look like more like Matt, yeah. There's another corporation member again that has a match with Jeff Hardy that I was watching earlier. But oh, um, well, when it's your turn again, you can um, you can name him. So yeah, Nikolai <laughs> definitely an early corporation member, but he falls into my like why column because they didn't go full blown Virgil on him, but they could have, and it was just it was cool to see a guy that I love from that golden era in uh, in the WWF, and here you go, a gut wrench suplex. Uh, which that could be it. Let's see. Or is, is he going to finish him off with like a knee or something? Um, yeah. Nikolai Volkov. Yeah, a, a, a knee. <laughs> no, he literally yeah, hit it. Exactly. He hit a knee next. I, I knew there was something in the repertoire uh, coming, but uh, so we got IRS. We got Nikolai Volkov. I, I'll tell you who I think of uh, when I think of the million dollar corporation. And it is somebody who I've talked to about it uh, a couple of times and I've referenced his comments uh, once or twice on this show. And that's King Kong Bundy. Yes. Who, yes. Uh, King Kong Bundy. Uh, we talked about his vignettes, I believe, and how they brought him back. And he believed he was basically coming in to be a dominant monster. And they basically made him a uh, mid Carter uh, who, you know, really never got past anything past. You know, I mean, I guess his biggest match would have been the undertaker at WrestleMania. But outside of that, I mean, he was just not given a good spot in the um, in the WWF. But his buildup was excellent. His yeah. buildup was out of this world. The the weeks of vignettes, and and I I can't remember why he ended up with uh, Ted DiBiase. It, it could have been one of those bidding for the rights to you know whomever. But I loved him in the mix. Thought he was perfect for that stable. Just horribly horribly used um did he come in before he was in the stable like i know the vignettes kind of predated the stable but when he actually debuted wrestling he was just in the corporation wasn't he i don't i don't remember because no the vignettes were towards i were they weren't they towards the end of 94 weren't they like october november 94 and then the, the corporation you know was around earlier in the year or was he at survivor series with the million dollar corporation I'd have to look. I'm not sure. I just don't remember him ever coming out. And I was trying to find it today, like in that time period without Ted DiBiase music. So um, in the research I was doing in the video I pulled up here, there was uh, Bam Bam versus Luger. And this is the kind of the first footage I found of uh, Bundy showing up in the corporation. Nothing really explained until that end of the match when he pops in there to save that. Uh, well, to kind of be a part of the corporation at ringside. So what's the what's the the date on this one? October tenth, ninety four. Okay, so it kind of makes sense when the vignettes were were being run. I just don't remember him being distinctly aligned with uh, with DiBiase, but this would have been in the build up to Survivor Series. Um, so yeah, but that uh, but I think of Bundy in that million dollar corporation, you know, build to the the Bam Bam Bigelow uh, Lawrence Taylor match. Um, one of my most hated things was when they had all the corporation members run to the ring in that match and Bundy ran to the ring. And I'm like, this completely kills the guy as a monster. Like the monster's not yeah. going to run and 
air punch and, and run to the ring, but he probably <laughs> did it as a goof knowing him. No, absolutely. Um, and Bundy, by the way, was who I was referencing before uh, in 94, and I can't find the date of it, so I don't know when in 94. But that was the earliest thing I could find, just Googling early Bundy, was him coming out and fighting Jeff Hardy on a Raw in 1994 and squashing him in three minutes, which was very entertaining. That's a a hell of a two matches for the Hardy boys. Uh, Nikolai (laughs) Volkov and King Kong Bundy. My goodness. When they say, where's the beef? I think we found it. It's it's a good thing we don't cover the Hardys during New Generation (laughs) because they always pop up more than I realized as a kid in those squash matches. There will definitely be a Hardys episode. We (laughs) could talk about their uh, their ring attire more than their matches in some of these things. (laughs) Absolutely. All right, so let's see. So we got IRS, Nikolai Volkov, and uh, KKB. So uh, who else you got, CP? Um, one of the more interesting um, ways to join the corporation was the 123 Kid. Oh, okay. Uh, he's sort of a later member. Um, but he, you know, he had been, he had his early feud with Razor Ramon, but then they were buddies for two years, year and a half or something. Yeah. And then he just went for the cash and joined the corporation, cost him a match against Sid against another corporation member. Yeah. We're not going to jump the gun and talk about Sid yet. I'll talk <laughs> about Sid after uh, the one, two, three kid. Yeah. A shocker. Um, the one, two, three kid is a special guest referee in a, uh, an intercontinental championship match with razor Ramon and, um, uh, uh, is it? Wait, I, I believe it's an IC title match. This might have been when uh, Razor, the in between with Shawn Michaels and Dean Douglas and, and Razor. Uh, but the kid turns on uh, Psychos, uh, turns on Razor Ramon during this match. And it was a shock because nobody could see that coming. Nobody thought the kid was going to fast count and take the dirty money of uh, uh, of the, the million dollar man. And, and it was also it was also kind of a shock to see Razor Ramon lose clean. And the way he did with a power bomb, one, two, three. Yeah, well, um, it was a quick count, and the kid did pull him off Sid, but it was uh, on a previous pin. But uh, it was definitely a, a shock to see that entire situation play out. The kid had missed a lot of time with a neck injury uh, in '95, and um, not that I mean it would have been stale bringing him back. What he did, I mean, he was over. The, the crowd loved him. You know, he was exciting to watch. Nobody else was doing what he was doing at the time. But um, I like this. I like this a lot. I think it was was perfectly pulled off. I think it definitely, by the end of it, had run its course, uh, and they dropped the ball. But uh, I think this is one of the better uh, turns to join the corporation. Absolutely. No, I think it was a really strong turn, and especially like when you have that, just that underlying fabric of Kid Razor. They were kind of linked together for a while. You know, They weren't necessarily a team or anything, but they were friends. Like, that was known, and they... And they started off as rivals, but that, that makes you, you know, a stronger bond. And then the kid turns on him and he becomes the evil one. And the ending of that match that you just saw uh, when he turns on him is fantastic, by the way. Yeah, I saw you I get a little snicker it. out of it. I just love it. DiBiase sticks the $5 bill in Razor Ramon's mouth. And then the kid slyly just pulls it out and pockets it. It's fantastic. <laughs> Well, it was it was a five because business was down and you couldn't hand out the hundies <laughs> you did a few years back. Yeah, exactly. In the eighties, they were printing money. In the nineties, they were saving money. So it was, uh, it was different. But I mean, I yeah, I remember this very, very clearly. I thought this was fantastic. And then Kid would go on to have some great matches as a heel 
um, pretty much through when he left in the middle of 96, except for the blow off with Razor Ramon, which was the crybaby match, which I mean, if you want to talk about some of the worst shit of the new generation era, that is going to be at the top of the list. Cause it's not even that it was a dumb stipulation. It was just a stupid match. It just made no sense. Um, after yeah, the ten thousand dollar match at the beginning of their feud, the shocking victory uh, the, that kicked it all off. Then as the kid turns and they have a couple tag team matches, Marty Jannetty teams with uh, Razor at one point against Sid and the Kid, and for it to be a, a, a crybaby match where the loser has to wear a diaper, oh my gosh, that was just oh that was the shits. Very bad, very very bad. <laughs> what if there was? It's too bad there was never a crybaby hog pen match. I feel like that would be the perfect match. Hey, if Triple H had done anything else with that curtain call, I'm sure there was probably something <laughs> of that ilk in his uh, his future. But uh, we mentioned in there with the one, two, three kid, Sid, who was somewhat of a, uh, a shocking return in 95 when he uh, was Shawn Michaels' bodyguard. But after he destroys Shawn Michaels the night after WrestleMania 11, uh, he's kind of in limbo very briefly, and then he becomes the marquee member of the Million Dollar Corporation where they basically say, we are building the corporation around the cornerstone. It is going to be Sid. They bring out all the uh, the, the Million Dollar Corporation members to the grand uh, appearance of Sid, who would basically be, it would call the end of another member's um, uh, time in the group. But Sid and the Million Dollar Corporation, another one perfect for it and i thought as the cornerstone was the right choice as the crown jewel of the crown jewel that was it that's yes it. yes no no sid was uh sid's always great when he pops in, in my opinion uh and this uh yeah he got the this was a couple weeks after he turned on Shawn michaels uh after wrestlemania 11 i think and it was uh he got this this awesome you know, intro into the million dollar corporation. It's the complete opposite of Nikolai Volkov. He, he was, <laughs> everybody else was like brought out to see the debut of DiBiase's surprise. And it was the monster Sid. And, and he'd kind of lightly introduce him to the title picture after that, as he kind of feuded with diesel a little bit. Yeah. And also, but let's point out Nikolai, not with this group uh, <laughs> at this point. So, uh, yeah, so it's, it's an imp- impressive uh, array of talent. But Sid, as the, uh, the, the cornerstone, definitely uh, definitely the right choice because, like, anytime Sid would come and go in the WWF, it always was linked to a top spot. But here he was as the psycho, the top heel uh, to go against Diesel in that summer. Now, those matches leave a little bit to be desired, two big strong behemoths going at it, not necessarily um, a winning formula for the matches they had. And that diesel would even hurt his elbow in uh, one of the matches that would carry through, hit the rest of his pretty much title reign with that hurt elbow. Um, but psycho Sid, a great, uh, a great extension of the Sid uh, characters. Cause he really did sell it very well. <laughs> yeah, no. And this, uh, this specific promo we're watching right now, he, he like mouths into the camera don't call me psycho. And it's just, it's very great. <laughs> I was, I didn't want to, I was afraid of what was going to happen. <laughs> psycho Sid was a scary guy. Amazing music that they produced for him as well. That would, that's a damn good point because if you want to talk about Jim Johnston and the amazing, uh, music that he could put together, um, psycho Sid's theme is just so different. 
and matches it. And you could take that Sid theme and put it in the opening credits of a movie and it would have that same effect because it is, it is awesome. I mean, that is, there's no two ways around it. Um, and if it just fit perfectly and then as he ascended up the ranks and when he would win the world title, I mean, that still fit him even as a baby face, that theme music stuck with him and was perfect. Yeah, that's one of the most perfect themes ever for like the for the character specific and and just the the way he played that character. It was fantastic. Is he the master and ruler of the world? He's the master of the world. Maybe not the ruler of the world. Oh my gosh! <laughs> All right, so uh, so you're next. Who uh, who do you got? Um, are we ready to go to random places? I mean, are we going? Are we going to parts unknown? I mean, tell me who do you who do you got next? We got IRS. We got Nikolai Volkov. We got KKB. We got one two three kid. We have Sid. What did you say, Tim? I mean, you're forgetting another key part in Tatanka. We could go to Tatanka. So we talk. Also, I have a question because I couldn't find like how he joined. But uh, was Papa Shango? Was ahead? that Papa Shango I saw in there? <laughs> Don't jump ahead. Don't jump ahead. Tatanka, next on the list. So Tatanka, we covered that in great detail. I don't know how much we really need to revisit Tatanka. But he, um, uh, I, another one, great turn, perfect member of the corporation. Um, you know, definitely ahead of Nikolai on the chain of, of the, you know, the reveals. Um, but, you know, the thing that kind of stinks for him is that you would have thought Tatanka was the cornerstone. And Sid coming in really makes Tataka drop a, a bunch of spots in the pecking order. Um, but, you know, played a good complimentary role to Sid, I, I felt, um, you know, in those first months after uh, Sid joined the corporation. Yeah, no, he definitely played a good complimentary role. But as you as you say, it's kind of the most exciting thing with Tatanka was kind of the buildup to him joining the corporation, then his initial turn. And then it sort of flattened out a bit after that which you can listen to in depth on a previous episode of New Generation Declassified. Yeah, a couple episodes back. I mean, we did the whole match and the, uh, you know, we talked about the buildup, which was strong as hell. And uh, a great few weeks at the, um, you know, they, they tried to make you think it was Lex Luger who was joining the corporation. And I told you I fell for a hook, line, and sinker. I had no clue Tatanka was joining uh, the Million Dollar Corporation, but he did. So go back and check that out. He was too smart for Exactly. Yeah, he was too smart. But that's uh, – I'm not a smart human being, I guess. One of those things. But um, uh, definitely check that out. We go over it in, in great detail. Now, who Tim mentioned was somebody I wanted to get out of the way uh, because, no, it was not Papa Shango. It was the Supreme Fighting Machine, comma. So, the original mixed martial artist. That's right. So at that time, I mean, I'll be honest with you, I had no clue – what MMA was. I had heard of the UFC because it was in its early days uh, at that part of 95, but uh, comma, the Supreme fighting machine uh, decked out and basically, you know, your combat attire, um, a great look again. I know this is something I didn't realize because all they did was cover his, um, his tattoos that he had for Shango with a white t-shirt, but <laughs> Who he was Papa Shango a few years earlier. Well, now he's a completely new character and he fits so perfectly into this new generation because you know what he looks like? He literally looks like he's straight out of Street Fighter, the way they had him dressed. 
He does. I mean, he kind of looks like he's in those backyard fighting videos that would come out years later with Kimbo Slice and yeah. Masvidal now. Uh, like, yeah, he, he looks like he's just a, just a backyard fighter. Yeah, it, it, it's a it's kind of a good look. A little cartoony with the haircut. The nineties. What do you want? There was weird hairdos. Remember Kid and Play? <laughs> Remember the Eraser Head? You know, he uh, he had an interesting hairdo. Absolutely. But, oh, good. No, no. Well, I was going to say, Kama has one of my favorite moments of the corporation, though, which... Uh, yeah, please. We talked about slightly on another episode, but it's because it came up when Mabel got the same product. But, you know, IRS or... Um, was it King Kong Bundy or IRS that stole the urn from The Undertaker? Um, and it eventually made its way to Kama, who melted it down, or who was the original one, who melted it down into a chain that he was yeah, he, around he, his neck. They repossessed the urn... And then Kama comes and takes it and, and declares he's going to melt it down and wear it around his neck, which he did. He wore it to the ring around his neck uh, through the summer of 95. Oh, here's Matt Hardy's back again. Uh, <laughs> a big old 214 pounds of Matt Hardy at that point. Oh, we got Kama versus Mattitude here or Godfather versus <laughs> Mattitude. Um on superstars, but I, I love the look of Kama. I think this is great. And again, I didn't really know that much about mixed martial arts or combat sports at the time, but knowing what I know now, I mean, he should have been an even bigger player because th- there was nobody like this. And I mean, what, what else could they have done? You know, they, they paired him with the undertaker, but there was really never, they had the match at some uh, SummerSlam 95, but I, I just feel like that kind of fizzled away that whole entire uh, story. And, uh, Kama would be, uh, he'd be gone by the end of 95. He, he appears in the 96 Rumble. And he's actually in the final four, I believe, of the 96 Rumble. But he, uh, he's gone after the Rumble in 96. But when he would come back, you know, a year and a half, two years later, they would still bring him back under the name Kama. So, I mean, they had some respects for that. You know, not exactly the same gimmick, but it was, I mean, it was, he was certainly the same guy. Uh, so they had some respect yeah, for that. That's a good point. But now the other funny part with that, too, is that um, Papa Shango was supposed to come back at that point. And there was a new basically uh, there's an artist conception um, of what he would have looked like in the makeup. And the Papa Shango uh, character was much darker uh, at that time. And can you imagine if they were able to work Papa Shango into the debut of Kane? Like how insane that, that could have been. Because it was around that same time in 97 where the Kane um, uh, character had been, you know, starting to to be murmured about um, when they needed a new member of the Nation of Domination. Well, you know what? He's literally wearing the same attire, pretty much, that he would wear in the Nation. Yeah. Um, the corporation didn't need a local uh, dentist, you know. <laughs> oh, he was not a part of the uh, corporation. Thank you very much. But if you want to add him <laughs> to the list of people that should have been, you you can, but we're not up to that yet. Um, but uh, yeah, Kama definitely a great role player in the Million Dollar Corporation, and uh, he could play on my team any day of the week. Absolutely, I'm right, rocking so a Charles Wright T-shirt during this podcast. Oh, like, what do you what do you got? It's Godfather, but <laughs> oh, very nice. The Godfather, uh, very free about his uh, use of marijuana. If you uh, go on Facebook, it's quite comical. Um, everything, <laughs> every post about the, uh, the marijuana, but, um, all right. So who do you got next on your list there, CP? Um, this is where I was uh, thinking about a little earlier, 
probably the most random person, I think, that's part of the Million Dollar Corporation, if he's really part of the corporation or some weird separate world. Um, Santa Claus. Good one. Very good. Yes, he is. I mean, because who else is uh, more hated than the Santa from the South Pole? Yeah, I mean, uh, if Santa, Santa comes Claus. from the South Pole, uh, Santa obviously doesn't come from the South Pole. He doesn't wear black. I mean, what is this guy doing? And Santa wouldn't just attack Savio Vega. <laughs> well, he would if he was Balls Mahoney. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, who would have uh, thought back in 95, Balls Mahoney would have a cup of coffee in the WWF as Santa Claus, the Sa- the evil Santa from the South Pole, um, knowing what Balls Mahoney would become, you know, years down the road. It's, it's such a goofy departure that again when people look at the new generation this is what they say they they say Santa Claus and Mantar and and these the goon and and stupid Abe Knuckleball Schwartz characters like that where you know what Balls Mahoney imagine Balls Mahoney on the new generation roster instead no I prefer Santa Claus I don't balls <laughs> come on no it's uh, it's good. so random and it's so dumb and this uh, this in your house is one of the lowest grossing uh, buy rates on pay per view that the WWF ever had. Is this December '95 in your house? It was not well received. <laughs> so much so it was played on superstars in the in the following weeks. They would show you matches from the in your houses. When did they ever do that? Yeah, no, uh, they they never did at that time. You you were lucky to get anything from any kind of pay-per-view that wasn't just like photo stills uh, for years before this area, before this time period. But they definitely, they showed you the casket match from this show. They showed you the world title match. Um, Just like you never saw that at that time, but this one was a part of the show. Santa Claus, um, you know, he's throwing out merch now to the, uh, to the crowd (laughs) and poor Salvio Vegas taking a verbal beatdown by uh, Ted DiBiase but uh, he's going to receive another beatdown by uh, by Balls Mahoney here. And you know, when he hits him, don't you just want to yell, Balls? <laughs> I want to yell, And it was claws. a bad hit, too. <laughs> yeah, I got Claws. Claws, 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 Claws. <laughs> the good news is that Santa Claus lasted like two, two three appearances at the most. And that's it. He's got big claws. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh there my gosh, a, terrible. There was a Santa Claus squash match I, I was watching uh, that was just uh, Ted DiBiase was in the corner talking about a, another future member and he's like look at what I got with Santa Claus now imagine who my million dollar champion is going to be. And it's just like <laughs> it could be anybody based on this person. <laughs> <laughs> well, who that million dollar champion was is actually if we wanted to go ahead is what we're going to talk about next week um we're gonna we're gonna talk about the entire show uh the night that the ringmaster makes his wwf debut as part of the million dollar corporation the new million dollar champion uh as that amazing title is resurrected and handed to uh he was right before this the superstar steve austin uh wasn't so much stunning anymore he was the superstar in ECW, literally turned every head in the wrestling business uh, and then jumped to the WWF to be the ringmaster uh, or uh, Chili McFreeze or whatever else they were thinking about. Uh, but we'll talk about that next week. So we won't go too crazy into the ringmaster, 
but um, put a to be continued onto that one. Yeah, absolutely. The ringmaster was a crazy debut, um, and he didn't even last as the ringmaster very long. It was it was very quickly that he went into Stone Cold, and uh, it was very quickly that he was not necessarily with Ted DiBiase. It was only a few month period, but it was an interesting period, I would say, in the history of uh, Mister Austin. All right, give me another one. Give me another uh, million dollar corporation member. Um, wow, we're missing a big one here. I don't know. Do we count Fake Taker as corporation or no? Um, I mean, he was uh, technically <laughs> uh, a, co- a company to the ring by uh, the million dollar man for one pay per view, and I guess he would have been an offshoot member. He he's a satellite member. I'm going to give him the nod. He was a part of the corporation. Yes. No, I mean he's definitely a weird anomaly. He was in that time period, but he doesn't, he didn't really relate with the group at all. It was kind of a whole separate Ted DiBiase thing with the great Leslie Nielsen being heavily involved. Uh, as I've said on many of shows uh, so far, I will <laughs> never refer to this character as the under faker, as many people like to call it. Um, but nonetheless, stellar job done by primetime Brian Lee as the, uh, the imposter undertaker in the buildup for this where they cleverly never showed you the face yeah absolutely they they always had that far camera shot uh, but you could still kind of tell it wasn't the undertaker <laughs> honestly the his walk to the ring at SummerSlam is like the first tell that it's not him but if they in the the some some of the the clever camera tricks that they do on like the heartbreak hotel or the king's court they get you fooled a little bit they give you good angles where you never see him directly. The walk to the ring at SummerSlam is the big tell. Yeah, that's true. But you always knew that wasn't the real Undertaker. Oh, I always yeah, knew, but yeah. I'm just playing yeah. into the uh, playing into the story here. Uh, again, the SummerSlam '94. You know, the arena is unbelievable. The United Center in Chicago was the first show they ever did. There was this uh, SummerSlam. We've talked about you know Tatanka and Luger. We've talked about. Uh, Brett and Owen in the cage and this match being the main event of that show. Just an amazing sight to see the full crowd, uh, especially in these two epic entrances of the gray undertaker, the fake one and the real undertaker, the purple one. What a, what a clever way to, to distinctly tell them apart by putting them in different colors. Absolutely. I mean, how could you make it any easier than to be purple and gray? It's perfect. Gives gives the real taker a new look and distinctly separates the two. Have you ever seen the photo of uh, the two of them next to each other in full, you know, gear? Like it's a backstage photo. And uh, I mean, they did such a great job uh, of how they, you know, they, they sculpted it. And uh, to see the two of them together is uh, it's remarkable. What, it, what just what a clever idea. I, I really do give my hat off to uh, the chairman for that one. Yeah, here it is. Timmy pulled it yeah. up. Great, great picture. Yeah, no, it's a great picture. For real. Paul Bearer is in between them being like, what am I doing? I'm right here. Primetime Brian Lee, a little bit shorter. By, by a hair or two. Or six inches. Something like that. Um, you, murdered, all right, I, you murdered your parents, not you. <laughs> we never, yeah, that would have been a great, um, uh, great little extension to the Kane story. All right, here's the guy we yeah. haven't mentioned yet. 
And as we start to run out of time I, I on this episode, it's a huge one. What was it? I, lo I was looking down. I said it's IRS. It's Bam Bam Bigelow. How, oh, he was so How obvious. How did we not mention Bam Bam Bigelow? Come on, Bam Bam I mean, Bigelow. I no, I thought it was perfect to say Bam Bam for last uh, because Bam Bam to me has the biggest moments of anyone in the corporation. No, Bam Bam goes before last. Come on, that's not that. That's a discredit to the great Bam Bam Bigelow. He uh, he needs to be mentioned now by me because I mentioned him already. Bam Bam Bigelow is in the absolute marquee uh, feud match and uh, storyline for this corporation. You could maybe argue Tatanka turning being their biggest moment, but definitely the Lawrence Taylor. Uh, WrestleMania main event, Bam Bam Bigelow and LT at, at WrestleMania in, in uh, Connecticut. Uh, unbelievable spot for Bam Bam to be in. Started at the Royal Rumble in 94, made it through WrestleMania, the public workout in Times Square, the all-pro team versus the corporation at ringside. Just a, a great build. And to me, Bam Bam is another one, the absolute perfect guy to be a part of this corporation. I thought he was so good in this, this faction that it was almost like it was tailor made for a guy like him. No, he was definitely perfect in this faction. And when I said, uh, bam, bam last, I thought he was last. So I'm forgetting somebody obviously, but, um, bam, bam is fantastic in this role. His few, I mean, he's, that's the marquee moment for the million dollar corporation is his LT feud and him main inventing, WrestleMania 11 against Lawrence Taylor. He also is the, he, he's the only other person. He goes like from um, zero to a hundred and back to zero in the corporation. He's the only person that ever gets the, that's gotten the Nikolai Volkov treatment at a time really, but he also got, you know, main eventer treatment too. Like he, he, he went to the top of the company, but then he was also just abused and spit out by Ted DiBiase after he couldn't beat Lawrence Taylor at WrestleMania and then lost a match against Diesel on a Raw, and he was just done with him. But what is great about all that, like you said, is the fact that in that Sid um, reveal, when Sid is introduced, that the, the Million Dollar Corporation, you know, huddles over and hoists Sid on their shoulders, but Bam Bam is all off to the side. Yeah. And I think that's so clever. I don't think he was officially out at that point, but uh, clever, clever, um, uh, yeah, he, you know, foreshadowing. He wasn't officially out, but he had been chastised publicly already by Ted DiBiase. <laughs> interesting. I don't. We have on his entrance as he's coming to the ring at WrestleMania 11, and I always thought it was so funny. So he finally comes out with a ring jacket, and the first two steps he takes out of the the tunnel, he rips off the ring jacket and throws it on the ground. <laughs> I thought that was great. No, he throws it back on as he gets halfway to the ring. But um, yeah, what a what a great match! And there's a great shoot interview with um, uh, Bam Bam Bigelow from uh, I think while he was still in ECW, where he talks about all this and talks about how hard they that LT worked to to get this match. And you see, you know, it's like a 12 minute match. LT is blown up. Uh, yeah. To oh, he the, yeah, he can't even <laughs> stand when it's over. Yeah, to the highest uh, heavens, and Bam Bam did such a great job to carry him and make this match, uh, you know, what it was. I mean, maybe Shawn Michaels and Diesel should have been the main event because it was the world title match, but, hey, this was your uh, this was your marquee match for WrestleMania 11. Hey, I can remember the Daily News 
uh, insert being a giant Lawrence Taylor uh, poster, which you didn't see much of that back in 95 for the WWF. So uh, they put their money into this one, and it was really Bam Bam's time to shine. They just don't make football players like this anymore. Oh, do no they? way. They don't make wrestlers like this either. So <laughs> it, <laughs> this could be a, a marquee main event in the Tokyo Dome uh, tomorrow, and it would get five stars uh, by a little Dave Meltzer. Current product. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. But, yeah, you can't talk about this corporation without Bam Bam. Uh, to me, I, I, I mean, I, you know what? I'll save that comment for the end. But um, we're running out of time, so let's go a little rapid fire. Who else do you got there in the corporation? I gotta defer to Tim. I'm I'm sort of not remembering anybody else at the moment. You got nobody else. How about a satellite member? Never a, a guy who wasn't officially in it, but he was a kind of like a hired gun, and that was uh, Henry Godwin. Um, oh yeah, was yeah, briefly yeah. aligned with the corporation. Never officially a member, which was kind of weird. Then when they turned on him because he was never officially uh, in the group. Uh, so I always thought that that was kind of um, kind of silly. But, uh, hey, you know, the hog farmer uh, part of uh, that group, would, would you like it? Would it have been a guy you'd rather see as a, uh, as a, a, a key member of the team? Maybe in his uh, Southern Justice uh, gear, it would have made sense. I don't know. <laughs> Did he need Phineas? Did he need um, uh, Hillbilly Jim at ringside with him as well? Yeah, definitely if he had Hillbilly Jim and they came out to the Country Boy theme song. Uh, they would have been a classic, perfect part of the, add, uh, add a little funny days to the to the mix. <laughs> you know, I gotta say, I think we got everybody. I know, I think that's it. What I about think we covered uh, all the members? What about the person that's not to be named? Which one? The uh, the the uh, the crippler. Oh, t- thank you, thank you. Yes, okay. So there was one more guy who only made an appearance at a, a, a TV taping with the Million Dollar Man, but never officially a member as well because he would end up signing with WCW. And that is Chris Benoit, who uh, I believe it was two nights that he worked with the WWF. Um, they were going to put him with the Million Dollar Man. Um, I think would have fit perfectly in the group. Uh, could have been that lower card guy that really, I guess, the one, two, three kid would become because, you know, Benoit was smaller than your average WWF superstar. But, uh, yeah, what could have been um, with the Crippler? Uh, also, here's another one for you that was uh, a rumored uh, member that never uh, ended up coming through was Duke the Dumpster Drosy was supposed to uh, be part of the corporation at one point. There was a WWF magazine article uh, written by Vince Russo that would have led to Duke the Dumpster Drosy uh, turning heel. And it was basically because Russo was bored with what the magazine was putting out there and was just trying to shake things up a little bit. And uh, there's a whole photo shoot with um, uh, Duke as a uh, <laughs> as a million-dollar uh, corporation member, a sold-out garbage man, if you will, all cleaned up and nice-looking. <laughs> There's nothing better than a sold out garbage, man. I mean, it, it's who wouldn't you rather have your garbage picked up by a nice, sleekly dressed person? Hey, I got news for you. Garbage men make a lot of money. So, uh, you know, they probably dress better than me to begin with. And one more guy before we run out of time here uh, who was recruited but turned it down was the Portuguese man of war Aldo Montoya. 
Was that around the same time as the kid joining? I'm trying to remember, but it's it like was no, it was earlier. It was around the time that Aldo debuted in '94. Okay, pre Just Incredible days. Oh my, pre Just Incredible days. My Just Incredible was uh, light years uh, from around the time uh, that he famously told the Million Dollar Man to stick his money in his ear. <laughs> That's fantastic. But you remember Aldo Montoya was just. He was similar to the one, two, three kid in that they were kind of Razor Ramon's buddies, like yes, his little buddies. Almost. Well, he PJ Walker had a, a victory over IRS, I believe, or it was DiBiase, a, a one of those one, two, three kid style uh, victories. But you know, PJ, he's talked about it in shooter interviews. You know, I, I've heard stories from um, from him directly about you know he was a kind of satellite member of the Click, so he was always yeah. around the guys. Um, but you know, it wasn't in the quote unquote, you know, the click that everybody knows, but if you know, PJ, you know, his, um, uh, affinity for those guys and his friendship with all those guys. Uh, all right. Before we sign off, uh, we say the top moment is definitely the Lawrence Taylor bam, bam match. Uh, we'll also throw the psycho Sid, um, crown jewel, um, uh, ceremony, uh, on that list. Give me, each one of you give me one more million dollar uh, corporation moment. We'll, we got two there. You guys give one and I'll give one. We'll have five total. I mean, I would throw in the kid moment that we talked about earlier, the kid turning uh, on razor, which is, you know, it kind of transcends the corporation to me. And uh, it was just a, it was a very interesting turn. Uh, one that you didn't really see coming. And it was, it was very well executed, especially, as I mentioned earlier, pocketing the uh, money after it was uh, put in the mouth of Razor, which was a perfect touch, I believe. Tim? Um, I hate to beat a dead horse, but uh, the the Tonk return was always, to me, the most memorable. And reliving it just reminded me of that. Um, You know, it wasn't, he wasn't like the key guy, but he still, to me, was one of the top guys of the corporation. Yeah. Absolutely. And then I'll close it out with next week's topic. That's the ringmaster. And uh, we'll dig into that next week. But, uh, you know, that's no slouch there. Those five uh, moments for uh, that group. Again, you know, better part of uh, 1994 through midway through 96 when DiBiase left uh, to go to WCW when his contract was up. And, um, you know, we'll kind of go out with a whimper, but we'll talk about that next week for a guy who gave so much to uh, the WWF. Uh, in the glory years. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's a great faction. If you've never seen anything from them before, go back and look at it. There's tons of stuff out there. Uh, it's just one of those things, you know, where we think about uh, who they kind of spotlight now when they talk about WWE history. This kind of gets lost only because all these years kind of get lost. So uh, give yourself uh, a little bit of a homework assignment and watch a little Million Dollar Corporation uh, and see how the, the new generation did factions. Uh, for a short amount of time. So we will head to the wrap up here on new generation declassified. You're listening to another new episode today and uh, we will be back next week. But in the meantime, if you want to come and follow me on either Twitter or Instagram, it's at Chad EMB. If you want to check out any of the other things that I have going on to my website, it's ibexclusives.com. And for all the great podcasts that we have under the TMPT umbrella, including Dr. Tom, including all of John's amazing interviews, stick with tmptempire.com. You'll get all the information there. You'll get all the links and everything that you need to know from the two-man power trip of wrestling 
podcasting empire approaching six years of dominance in the podcast genre uh, very, very soon. So, uh, CP, I'll hand it over to you. Get us uh, some of your uh, plug skis and we'll uh, we'll get on out of here in a minute. Well, congratulations, first of all, on six years of uh... almost there. A few months down the road. Good. Three months. It's We're close approaching. enough. It's con- congratulations is uh is deserved. Thank uh, you. But uh, yeah, you can just check me out on Twitter at at pugs p u g z z z with three z's. As I say on a weekly basis, um, you can also check out the Stick and Move Stories podcast season one, where uh, numerous historic boxing matches are covered in individual documentary style episodes. You can Google the Stick and Move Stories podcast, or you can find those episodes on anchor or spotify and just revisit the uh history of new generation declassified if you haven't already and uh look up not a plug but watch watch ted dibiase throughout his history because he's he's a great person love me some uh love me some ted dibiase without a doubt all right tim uh before we say goodbye uh where can the fine folks find what's going on in your world at the usual, uh, Vaz Defron on Twitter, and I got a. I'm glad you plugged the uh, DB Hossie there at the end because um, for most people that didn't grow up or that did grow up outside of uh, New York and Northeast, the 70s and 80s Mid South DB Hossie is, is to me one of the most underrated characters in wrestling history. The Black Glove, the whole nine yards, the um, the Mid South run is unbelievable, and oh, uh, the for first. Years. The first time I got to uh, to interview DiBiase, I basically asked him all Mid South questions because um, that was such a great time in his career, and nearly could have been the NWA champion um, at one point. And uh, absolutely, honestly, around the time Kerry Von Erich became the NWA champion, he didn't I have think the backing did he from the from it, NWA? Right, exactly, and that's he could have been right up there, um, and it really, I mean, he would have been, even though he is an all-time great, I mean, he'd be an absolute, you know, icon with that uh, NWA title reign under his belt. His versatility, though, you know, after he, he can't wrestle anymore, look what he goes on to become in yeah. companies. Absolutely. Well, he Just was so, almost the, uh, I'm sorry. He was no, almost no. the mouthpiece of MWO, though. I mean, he was the original. For a little while. They kind of, yeah, he was for a, a, a good you know, chunk of the end of 96. Oh, they, they phased him out uh, pretty quickly. Yeah. Um, just don't go, just don't go look at what he's doing now. That's all I'll say. Don't <laughs> uh, just don't read, just don't read the sheets right now. Um, oh no. But that's all right. He, we love Ted DiBiase. All right. Well, we'll say goodbye for this week on new generation declassified. We'll catch you next week with the ringmaster and for Timmy W and Mr. CP. This is the Chadster. We'll catch you on the flip side. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.